At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. What is going on? I am Peter J. Kim, and this is Counter Jam on the Food 52 Podcast Network, where we celebrate culture through food and music. Oh, take a second and soak in this groove. That, my friends, is the sound of Afrobeat, a style of music pioneered by the late, great Felakuti of Nigeria. And yes, we're talking Nigerian food culture this time around. Fufu, moi moi, dodo, and so many other delicious things with comedian Ego Wodem of Saturday Night Live, and not one, but two of the standard bearers of Fela Kuti's musical legacy, Fela's son Femi Kuti and Femi's son Made Kuti. This is going to be an intergenerational, intercontinental breakdown of one of Africa's most diverse food cultures. But first, here is one hell of a funky song from Legacy Plus a double album that Femi and Made released jointly. This song is on Femi's half, and true to the Kuti family legacy, it calls on people to hold their government officials accountable. Here's Na Big Manism Spoiled Government by Femi Kuti. Big Manism Spoil Government by Femi Kuti, the first of three tracks that will be spinning today from Femi Kuti and Made Kuti's double album, Legacy Plus. I want to lead off with a very important note. We'll be talking about Nigeria in this episode, but 
let's remember that Nigeria as a political entity is artifice. As is the case with so many other African nations, its borders were not decided by its inhabitants. They were dictated by colonial powers, in this case, British colonizers. So, I'm going to use the term Nigerian food in this episode, but I want to make clear that when I say Nigeria, I'm talking about an area that comprises a rich tapestry of cultures that spans over 200 million people who speak more than 500 languages. Okay, with that said, I love Nigerian food. It closely resembles the kind of food I ate for nearly two and a half years as a Peace Corps volunteer in Cameroon. I was 23 years old, living in a beautiful village called Ban Kim, near the border with Nigeria. It was, as they'd say in Cameroon, in the bush. I had no running water or electricity, and there were no paved roads. During my time there, I started a program called L'Art de Vivre that paired art classes with public health education. Over time, I developed close friendships and became accepted in the community. I spoke a couple of the local languages. I knew how to swig palm wine, pound fufu, fish, tend to crops, and do all the sorts of things that are at the heart of Cameroonian village life. So you'll note throughout this episode that I have a major soft spot for Nigerian food, and well, it's because it reminds me so much of my time in Cameroon. In this episode, we're going to see Nigerian food culture from two perspectives. On the one hand, we'll hear from comedian Ega Wodem, a Nigerian-American born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. On the other hand, we'll hear from father and son Femi and Made Kuti, both born and raised in Nigeria. When I spoke to Femi and Made, they were at their home just outside of Lagos, and the conversation got off to a bit of a rocky start. Okay, Femi, Made, I don't know if you can hear me, but we have lost you. And so if you can hear me, we'll need you to rejoin. Oh, sorry about that. The, we have no electricity, so we have to put on the gen. So before this started, I told them to put on the gen in case the electricity goes off. So, what happened was the generator broke down. So, we had to put on the spare gen. <laughs> so, it's, so, it's, I mean, we live in a very hectic environment. You need two, three generators because of the electricity, which goes off, on, off, on, off. Ah, Nigeria is crazy. We have to go through this every day. Oh, thankfully, we sorted things out. We started talking about a dish called jollof rice, which is as close to a national dish as Nigeria has. Here's how Madi explained it. It's rice made with stew with the rice. <laughs> and the stew made to be part of the rice. And it's, yeah, it's, it's well, it's the best kind of rice there is. <laughs> and, you know, it's, there's this whole argument going on with who has the best jollof rice, Nigeria or Ghana or Cameroon or this place. And it, it really, it's, it's a pointless argument because it really depends on the cook. You, I've had bad Nigerian jollof and you know, fantastic Nigerian jollof. So, yeah, it's, and you have the choice of rice. It doesn't matter what type of rice you use. I prefer basmati rice. Basically, jollof rice, we put, you put as much ingredients as sometimes you might even have egg in the jollof rice. You might have uh, 
corned beef in the jollof rice. So, but you have to be an expert at how you mix it. So you don't put too much of anything. So it's how you blend all those ingredients and mix them all together in the, with the rice. I spoke with Ego, who thankfully did not need to fire up two backup generators to make the interview happen. And it's safe to say she shared Made's love for jollof. When we kind of went into this lockdown, I was making jollof rice with regularity. Um, but then that also starts to do a number on you. So I stopped because, and, and then it was like, I'm making a big pot. I only know how to make a big pot of it, right? But I live alone. I'm a single woman. And so I have this big pot of uh, jollof rice. But here, And you'd say like, oh, it'll last yeah. you days and days. But it would be so good that I would eat probably three to four bowls in one sitting and then I, that's not healthy. So I was like, this is not sustainable. I have to stop doing this. And then there was right before I like tapered off and making jollof rice regularly. It was like, it's so good. I want it to myself. So, but then I was like, you know what? This is not a way to live. So I started offering it to friends, but I can't make Nigerian food the way my mom does. So I, then I just kind of sit it out. As someone who's eaten his fair share of jollof, I can attest it can be crazy good. Fabi shared the way jollof is done at the shrine the legendary music venue and restaurant in Lagos that he owns and performs in. The best jollof rice are party jollof rice, weddings, where you go to all these big weddings. Like there's a, we, have a, we always have this New Year's party and the girl who cooks for the shrine, she has a restaurant in the shrine. Um, our auntie used to be a great cook during my father's time, so she took over. She makes, ah, oh, her jollof rice is like killing. When you eat her jollof rice, you will, there's no jollof rice better than her jollof rice I've ever tasted. She's an acute jollof rice party maker. You know, she can make for a thousand people. And it's, you know, some people make it and if you don't get there quickly, the next batch is not as nice. This is every section of the jollof rice is excellent. <laughs> so it turns out that the battle of the best jollof rice isn't just fought over national borders. It's fought within families, too. Femi's praise for the jollof rice at the shrine omitted a key detail. The jollof rice made by his partner, Antonia. Made picked up on this right away. I have to cut in there because, for the record, I just have to state that the best jollof rice I've tasted are by Auntie Dakbo no. and Auntie Tonya. Why are you being? You want to put me to trouble. Yeah, you see, he's a big, Made is a big just fool. Because now he wants to put me in big trouble because he's <laughs> mentioning my partner's <laughs> If I don't tell you that our own jollof rice is the best in this world, of course, I'm not going to sleep, Abby. You see, Made, you are an idiot, really. Peter, what Made did just now is totally unfair and I really, and I am going to, I'm really angry and upset because he's taking two names. Because I didn't mention them, they can kill me, those two names. You see, Tonya now, Tonya makes jollof rice with love. You see, there's a big difference from party jollof rice. Tonya is not making for a thousand people. She's making for people she loves. So she's, she makes that jollof rice with, oh, these people I love. These people are my people. So there's no comparison. So don't, it's not what I was talking about. You, you are dead. You say after this, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> because now, ah, how can you put me to trouble? Uh-oh. <laughs> Well, this is not my intent. I don't want to sow any discord in the Kuti family, please. Hoo boy, remind me to never again wade into a discussion of who makes the best jollof rice in a Nigerian family. Ego walked me through her process of making jollof. 
I can tell you how to make it. We're going to saute some onions and garlic and, and some vegetable oil and then uh, take some tomato paste. And I like mine to be tomato heavy, so maybe I do a little more tomato paste. Yeah. Um, and you grind onions and tomatoes and, like, puree them. Um, you can put a protein if you'd like. I usually put, like, uh, the beef cubes that people use for stew. Um, Maggie cube. In it. Oh, and then Maggie cubes. Oh, my goodness. You can't make it out without Maggie cubes. I don't think any old bullion cube was going to work. I have, a, I have a very strong stance on that, I should say. Oh, hell yeah. Um, it's got to be the Maggie cube. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be the Maggie cube. Uh, I don't care what's in it, but it's, I, I don't want to know. It's deliciousness is what's in it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Remember when I talked about how diverse Nigeria was? We'll zoom out to West Africa more broadly, and you have an even more diverse region. But this, I think, is one of the few foods that unites the entire region. Maggi cube. Little cube-shaped umami bombs wrapped in yellow and red foil that go into and onto everything. In stews, on meat sticks, in omelets, on fish, with vegetables. I honestly don't think you can cook West or Central African food without it. I would be remiss to not mention the predecessor of Maggi Cube, umami-rich ingredients such as iru, which is a fermented locust bean. But peep inside your typical West African pantry and you'll probably see Maggi Cube. <laughs> I have to admit, I was a little starstruck while speaking with Femi. I mean, he and his family have shaped the musical culture of an entire region, and the message behind his music and his father's music helped me at a young age form the progressive political views that are intrinsic to who I am today. As awesome as his musical talents are, he made a claim about his culinary skills that I took, shall I say, with a grain of Maggie. I used to be a great cook at one time. Everybody used to say my food was the best until they turned me into the house cook, so I protested. Oh, and they used to... Psych me, oh, oh, Femi's food is so good. Femi's cooking is good. And I just realized I was cooking for years. And I was like, what? Nobody else is doing the cooking in the house. So I said, no, carried my placard. I'm not cooking anymore. And slowly but surely, I forgot how to cook. (laughs) (laughs) Made, have you experienced your father's cooking? Never. (laughs) I've once, once in my life, he, the people that he cooked for, I was not part of that generation, unfortunately. So I've not tasted this so-called great cooking. But my dad made plantain for me one time when, when we traveled, and it was very nice plantain. Okay, very yes. nice plantain. that plantain is not considered plantain is not considered cooking, really. I mean, that's <laughs> just fried plantain. Anybody that can do that is like frying an egg. That's not really cooking. Uh, until, so. until, you eat, until you eat a bad cook's plantain when the oil okay, is that's true. <laughs> Some people will burn the plantain. So, well, it's true. You have to be very technical. You have to know the duration uh, of the you plantain. You have to flip it. To yes, move okay, it. it's true, it's true, it's true. <laughs> well, Femi, I don't know, you know, if somebody came up to you and said, I'm a good saxophone player, I swear, and they don't even play for you, I don't know if you could really trust them. So if your own son hasn't really tried your cooking, See? I'm just wondering about what a good cook you actually are. <laughs> hey, you'll just have to go with the myth that I'm a good cook. <laughs> we heard a little more about <clears throat> uh, Chef Femi's culinary feats. During my cooking, I only cooked, um, my specialty was um, egusi soup. So that is, that, is my, that is my childhood. You can describe, do you know, um, do you know what is an egusi soup, Madi? Yes, it's seeds. You know, you have seeds from like um, 
like squash and melons that are dried up and then they, they're used as the ingredients to make it in soup. Ego had some feelings about Igusi too. That is my shit. Am I allowed to cuss on this podcast? <laughs> it, that is, that's my shit. It's my jam. I love it. Igusi soup is my favorite, but I haven't had it in probably over a year because I don't know how to make it and it's not going to be as good as my mom's if I try. So I just fall back. Oh my God. I love me some agusi soup. I actually have agusi in my kitchen right now and I what? make it periodically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I hit up the African markets and I'm okay, making me some agusi soup. Uh, you know if what? If I can do it, I go, come on now. I know, I know. Hearing you say that, I'm just like, I'm, I'm motivated, but also ashamed at the same time because I'm like, well, you know, I can do it. I could. <laughs> That's what you're setting out to do is shame me. <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, I now I'm like, okay, girl, you need. It's one of my favorites, and I like to go extra on the goosey. Like when my mom would make it, I did have requests for like how much goosey she would use. I had it at a restaurant in LA last year, and I, I, my first time eating at a Nigerian restaurant was last year. That's crazy. Yeah, it's because I, I think my mom makes the best Nigerian food. So my mom will sometimes make rice and stew, um, yeah. which is sort of like jollof rice in that it's rice-based and there's tomato. The stew itself is tomato-based. Um, it's just not mixed. You mix it when you eat it, essentially. You top it with the stew. Um, right, right. But my mom will sometimes make stew with fish, and I like have a hard no-stew-with-fish thing. Um, but she'll still make it and is like kind of like, fuck you, <laughs> which good for her, honestly, good for her. Um, but uh, she will make a stew with fish and like enjoys it. She really enjoys fresh fish. But like stockfish is something I grew up eating. I still enjoy crawfish, stockfish. Um, I didn't even know until I, you know, until I, I moved out and went to college and I started to explore the world on my own. I just thought also crawfish was like a Nigerian thing. And then I'm like, no, yeah. they eat it down in New Orleans. Like I, <laughs> the things I didn't know. All right. This brings me to one of the other foods that I think unites not just West Africa, but almost all of Sub-Saharan Africa, which is remarkable given just how diverse the continent is. It's fufu. Well, I should say I know it as fufu since that's what we called it in Cameroon. In my research, I've come across over 70 names for it. It's called Futu in Cote d'Ivoire, Ugali in Uganda, Pap in South Africa, Walla Walla in South Sudan, and on and on. Whatever you call it, though, it's a ball of cooked starch eaten with the hands and used to sop up stews or sauces. Sometimes it's a porridge made of grain mixed with hot water. Sometimes it's a pounded starch such as plantains or yams. It's not particularly flavorful on its own, and it's not meant to be. It's a vehicle for sauce. I ate it pretty much every day while I lived in Cameroon, and I loved it. There is something so satisfying about the tactile sensation of manipulating a doughy ball and dunking it into sauce. Growing up, a lot of fufu in my house. Um, I grew, yes, lots of fufu. I am a fufu head. Oh, man. Okay, so you need to go live in my family's home. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They they would happily sub you out for me because I, Um, at a young uh, age. Hey, uh, mm -hmm. Ego's mom, um, I love stew with fish. (laughs) So just saying, putting that out there. (laughs) You should absolutely go be her child because I don't like fufu. And I didn't since, I haven't since I was a child. I know, but every, listen, my, 
Um, my brothers love it. My sister loves it. My sister, when we lived together in LA, she, she knows how to make okra soup, which is another soup that I absolutely love. And the okra draws and Mm. like, it just is, I'm making a hand motion guys. You can't see, but like the okra draws, it's so, so delicious. And it's like spinach and okra and like, oh my goodness, I want it. So I mean, um, like West Africans don't shy away from like the, the, the sticky okra, like consistency. It's like, it's actually desired. Yeah. It's desired. And I didn't know that, like, so now as a full-blown adult, having my own experiences in the world, going to eat with friends, meeting friends who are foodies as well, because I am very much one, and seeing them not enjoy okra, I'll be like, oh, I don't like okra. And I'm like, that's psychotic to me (laughs) because I think it's so good and because I grew up on it. But then ironically, like, you know, I grew up eating, they were serving me fufu and they used to try to make me eat it and I never came around. Uh, But my sister loves it. My friend, my siblings, they would have friends come over who were American born, white people, American born, black people, and they would love it and they would request it from my mom. Like, can I have fufu? And I'd be like, I don't get it. I just don't get it. But I want to get it. I feel like my card is going to get revoked. But yeah. Um, What kind of fufu did your family generally eat? Um, So my mom, the way she would make it here... She would use Jiffy. My mom used Jiffy to make it here. Um, but we, I grew up calling it Farina because they called it Farina in my house. But yeah, yeah. she used Jiffy a lot growing up and then sometimes would use potato flakes, instant potato flakes in hers. Um, yeah. And because I don't like it, I never cared to like learn much about it. My aunt... Um, they use some sort of wheat. My aunt and uncle, they use a wheat in one, but my mom doesn't like it made that way. Um, and then I've talked to her about, how could I forget? I haven't had this in forever. You're making me remember. Gari. Oh, man. I love gari. Okay. So I used to love that growing up even as a snack. So you can you can use gari to eat soup the way you eat fufu. Um, it's more grainy, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I truly haven't had this since I was a child, but now I'm remembering. So good. Yeah. So can you explain just what gari is? Yeah, gari is like... Also, also starchy. But is that cassava? Yeah, yeah, it's cassava. Um, and and I'm asking. I'm like, you know more about. This. <laughs> I love how much more you know than I do. I'm just like, yeah, my life. It's a given. Um, I've got to get your mom right questions. here, and we're just laughing our asses off. So, yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm embarrassed of. Um, but uh, yeah, gari is like a starchy. It's also kind of doughy the way they serve farina. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 far more grainy. And or it's grainier, and it, it. If anyone knows cassava, like I've been to Brazilian restaurants and they serve um, yucca root. I feel like it's almost in that same world. It is cause is yucca root. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like cassava is a crazy root because okay. it, it has so many names. So we call it manioc. You can call it uh, cassava. You can call it yucca, and it's so good. All this, okay. all. But it's all the same stuff. And it's like, yeah, the, okay. um, it's a tuber. Okay. This is meant to be an educational moment for there me, you go. right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this entire podcast episode, I am simply learning. Because um, all these things were just a given to me growing up. I was like, I don't ask questions. This is what we eat. But um, that's how I would describe Gary. But how would you? Because I feel like you're going to do a better well, job. No, of I, it. So I think actually what you're talking about really is, I mean, so fufu is kind of like a family of things, and it's like mm-hmm. essentially blobs of starch that you like dip into stews. And so, I mean, I think yeah. what what you're telling me is there's a certain kind of fufu that you don't really like, but I think you actually do like fufu. Mm-hmm. It's just that maybe you don't like <laughs> maybe you just don't like the the jiffy fufu. Yes, we're unpacking this right now. I, this is important to me because I do like the I do like gari. 
realized at that point that Ego and I just had a different understanding of what fufu was. For her, it's specifically made from jiffy, in other words, corn. For me, I think of fufu as comprising a larger family of starchy staples. Ego, in my book, you do like fufu, just cassava fufu, and you're still a card-carrying Nigerian. This episode of Counter Jam features three songs from Legacy Plus, which, as I noted, is a double album that was jointly released by Femi and Made. Here's what they had to say about it. My dad and I were releasing two separate albums. We were planning to release two separate albums in 2020. And my dad came up with a brilliant idea of a duo release with a parent and child. And as far as we searched, it had never happened before. So we thought it would be so monumental for me to come out in this way into the world because I haven't. This is the first body of work I've ever produced and shared. We thought it would be inspirational to show the love we have between us. The sound, the rhythms, it's all about love. I love Madu's album so much. Not because I'm his father, I, I tell him this. So, hearing you tell us your view brings total satisfaction to me. I will say that listening to Legacy Plus, to me, feels akin to eating a plate of food that has had a lot of love put into it. It fills you up, but you keep coming back for more. Here's a song from Made's half of Legacy Plus. He plays every instrument in the song. It's crazy. You'll hear that the Kuti Legacy is not only alive and well, it's being taken to new heights. Here's Free Your Mind by Made Kuti. Free your mind, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind and set your soul free. Free your mind, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind and set your soul free. Free your mind, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind and set your soul free. Free your mind, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind and set your We're going to go through six key differences between Nigerian culture and American culture on both the food and music fronts. Stay tuned. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beat in cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great in clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. Based on my conversations with Femi, Made, and Ego, I identified a few key ways that Nigerian culture differs from American culture. Number one, Nigerians do not like bloody meat. We don't like red meat. Oh, our meat has to be really well cooked. Yeah. I, I, I can't, and, and then when you even tell them in the restaurant, they're like insulted, what? Why are you spoiling the meat? We are like, <laughs> no, I can't eat it. And then they sometimes get offended because they, are, they don't like preparing their meat like that. We, I mean, sometimes we really, we cook it, then fry it, and it's very, it's still very soft. 
but it's really well, very well cooked meat. Yeah. Yeah, I remember going out with one of my friends, a friend of mine, and she accidentally ordered like medium rare for the steak she ordered. <laughs> she, <laughs> she felt challenged by it. <laughs> what is this bloody meat? <laughs> yeah. It's like barbaric. I mean, the first time I had it, I, I even thought new was an option. Was, was It seemed like total madness to me. You want the blood in the food. People do this. Number two. Nigerian food is insanely spicy. For all the people I told between the ages of like eight to 21 that I did not like spicy food, it was because my mother's idea of spice I realized is not that of the world. And her idea of spice, her idea of spice was like absolutely psychotic. <laughs> and just, I was, it, her food, it would just be all pepper. And also at that age too, I'm like, I don't think kids that age want spice, but like all pepper, like to the, to the point where you're like, there is no dimension to this flavor, this dish anymore. It is all pepper. And so I would always tell people I didn't like spicy food. That is simply not true of me, um, Peter. I have learned. I'm like, no, I think I went to a restaurant once and they asked me spicy or mild. And I go, you know what? It's time I try spicy again in this lifetime. And I had it and I go, oh, well, this is fine. <laughs> Number three, grocery shopping in a Nigerian village is a dynamic experience. In the supermarket, you don't negotiate it. The prices, the price tags are right on the, on the whatever you're buying. In here, you, the buyer, must always ask for more. And the seller will always decrease. Yes. Negotiation goes all day with everybody. So, and of course, it's kind of very beautiful. This was a part of Cameroonian culture that was initially very hard for me to get used to because, you know, I'm very used to just like you pay. There's a price. You pay the money. You get your thing. But over time, I learned, you know, as you say, I went to the market. If you want to buy tomatoes, it's just like, uh, you want to charge me 200 for this? <laughs> yeah. well, you want me to starve? And then you get this. You go to this like whole theater. Right. And then you're like waving your arms and like, <laughs> how could you do this to me? Oh, and then and then you then you make the deal and you buy the. The, the damn tomatoes uh, yeah, and then yeah. afterwards you're like hugging and like laughing <laughs> because it's all just a it's like a it's a form of like social bonding too yeah <laughs> yeah so, so there's actually a funny story I, I came back to the u.s and there's a store called radio shack that actually i don't know if it really exists anymore but i, I was going there to buy like a, a part for my cell phone and um the i asked what the price of like a, a charger was and the guy gave me the price and I just stood there and I, I sucked my teeth like this and just stood there waiting because it was a habit for me when somebody gave me a price to just make that sound and wait. And my friend came up to me and said, Peter, this is very awkward. Like, you're not to, like they gave you the price already. Like nothing's going to change. Another thing, another thing about the market is I think it's a way of communication as well. Because you go to the market and everybody's asking, how is your family? How is your child? Blah, blah. So a, a conversation start, starts while you are negotiating for whatever you're buying. So it's not, and then you become close, you become like friends because you, you have a customer. So if this, where you're buying from treats you and is whoever is not rude or very polite in this respect, it's not just about buying. People that go to the market find that joy as well of that conversation that goes on in the market. That's right. And I feel like something is really lost 
something is really lost in a country like the U.S. where we're moving toward, we, you know, when you go to the supermarket here, there's machines where you just stand in front of the machine and it says, place your item on the scanner. And then you put... I hate those and, machines. Uh, you know, I guess it's convenient. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, if we keep doing this more and more and more, when are we ever going to be talking to each other and dealing with each other as, as human beings? And so I, I love the fact that the market really forced me to really get to know the people in my village. Yeah, then you even know your na- you know the names, you know your name, you get acquainted in a way. Not too acquainted, but acquainted enough to trust each other. Number four, cooking techniques in Nigeria are hands-on, literally. I went to stay in the village, and the first night my mom told one of my cousins, okay, she's uh, hungry, could you make her something? And she went and made me rice and stew on like some sort of cast iron skillet over a fire, over firewood. It was perhaps the best rice and stew I've ever had in my life over firewood outside. And it was so good. My God. And that takes like so much like attention to just like maintain Mm -hmm. the right Mm -hmm. level of flame. And then like cooking is just a whole, I mean like cooking in like a village setting in Cameroon or I imagine in Nigeria it's just such a different, it's such a different activity. Because first of all, there's no cutting boards, so like mm-hmm. you're cutting all of your vegetables mm-hmm. in your hand directly over the pot. Yeah, you know, and then you have this fire you're actively managing. You know what I mean? It's a really, mm-hmm. it's a totally different mm-hmm. kind of experience. It's much more of like this organic kind of give and take with the food. Yeah, like you're really like sort of dancing with it rather yes. than like you know in the U.S. where it just like goes on the stovetop, you let it simmer. You know? Yes, you know that's um, speaking of cutting in your hand. Do you know that I thought that was normal? So my, I mean, I grew up here in the U.S., but I grew up with my mom cutting onions in her hand. I mean, we had cutting <laughs> boards. We've, we had them for sure. And so up until truly like maybe three years ago, I was like, this is not um, necessary here in my kitchen where I could just use a cutting <laughs> board. It's not a necessary risk, but I just thought it was normal. And so I was cutting in my hand, and I think I was cooking with a friend once who was like, why are you doing that? And I was like, this is how my, I don't know. This is how I know to cook. <laughs> but I learned to cut plantain and cook plantain from my aunt, the the British one, um, cutting the plantain in my hand. And I still do to this day, Peter. I, I love I, that. I still, I still, I, and so like the onions, I'm like, okay, we'll do it over. We'll do it on a cutting board. Cause I now understand that that's maybe not necessary. But in my mind, like the part of making the plantain so good is you got to cut it in your hand. And so I just you cut it what? in my hand. Ego, I'm going to tell you from the way I see it is that yeah. is your a connection between you and Nigeria via your mom. Yeah. I yeah. mean, because like and it's amazing that your mom still cuts things that way. Yep. I, I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. Number five, when it comes to food, Nigerians go straight to the point. Another thing I find is. The three-course meal in Europe, especially. Yeah. You start with dessert. Appetizer. No, you start with um, salad. The, uh, um, and then after the course, you have sweets. We don't do that. We go straight to the dish. Wow. And, and we collapse after we the deal, dish. We deal with our business straight away. That's right. <laughs> so African people, we are not ready. No, no, we don't mess around. What's salad? And that salad, I remember taking my banner on tour for the first time and they bring all the salad. Everybody's like, what? What's all this? <laughs> and we're all like, then the cooks get really upset because nobody's eating the salad. Yes, yes, yes. The two things I have to add to that. One, one is our necessity, our demand for sauce. So yes, yes. Here, 
and they just gave us rice. How can you bring rice with no sauce? <laughs> we were all lost. And the second thing is food portions. We eat really huge amounts. No, because we have everything is compounded in the one dish. Dessert, yeah. the dish, yeah, exactly. an appetizer. Everything. One course view. <laughs> and number six, at least in Ego's estimation, Nigerian singers could take it down a notch. The other bit of Nigerian pop culture that I was exposed to a lot, well, I don't know if I call this pop culture, was like super religious music. And so yeah. uh, some of the bush taxis in Cameroon, we'd list, the, the drivers would just be blasting Nigerian like religious like music. And there was this one singer, but like she had a song that was like a hit while I was there. And it was called Bouncing in the Lord. Oh. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to do an impression of it. But it was like, okay. I am bouncing in the Lord. Bouncing in the Lord. I am bouncing in the Lord. That bounce, is. Bounce, bounce, bounce. <laughs> and I remember Wait. being like jammed in these little taxis for like, oh, a seven hour ride and just listening to freaking Bouncing in the bouncing Lord. Bouncing in the Lord. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm not I bouncing just, in shit right now. Can I say that that just low key sounds like a hit? So I get it. But also for Nigerian culture, I, I don't know this song, but you did a wonderful impression of Nigerian singers, like, you know, traditional Nigerian singers who I feel all think they are sopranos when in fact perhaps they either are not <laughs> musically inclined real in reality or should maybe bring it down several notches and try out being an alto like i don't know but that is a thing very off key all, the pitch is all off like my my uncles and my mom my mom cannot sing my uncles but boy would they belt and they'd all be doing that high pitch and i'm like you know you can bring it down right and like kind of get into a comfortable zone um but one of my favorites as you're singing in that high pitch is from my mom's village, this cassette tape, I don't think I'd ever be able to find it online, but I remember they used to play it on car rides. And we wouldn't listen to exclusively Nigerian music, but like they'd play it on car rides. Um, and it would be, uh, We're enlightened in women from Ibo. We're enlightened in women from Ibo Agrasa. We're enlightened in women. Our motto is knowledge is power. If you've listened to previous episodes of this show, you know I love asking folks the question, if you were stuck on a desert island and you had to eat one dish for the rest of your days, what would it be? I'm going to say, I'm going to say a goosey soup. I'm going to say a goosey soup. Yep. I, I love a goosey soup and I haven't had it in so long. I feel like if I ended up on an island tomorrow, I would for sure fuck with it for at least a year <laughs> because I haven't had it in so many years. I mean, I have not had a goosey soup in forever, so I would go with a goosey soup. My mom's a goosey soup. Remember how sweet it was when Femi and Made talked about how they inspired each other to make the double album? Well, let's see how that sweetness held together when I asked them the same question about what they'd eat on a desert island. You see, with African dish, you can just take as much as possible. So I'll take boiled jam... <laughs> Beans and plantain. Why are you laughing? You are so stupid. Really. No, it's okay. <laughs> I, I would take um, <laughs> pounded yam, a goosey that has turkey and chicken. Ah, you can't take chicken and turkey together. That, that's not fair. No. Why? You said one. You said the Africans can put you everything together. Chicken. No, chicken is a body. Turkey is another body. You yes. can't take two. You can't. In fact, right no, now, no, you can't do that. 
you can't do that. Guy, you cannot take you cannot take a cow. Well. You cannot take a cow and a goat to eat. No, he said yes, one. He I'm said, it right, Peter. I am not inserting no, myself into that island. And I'm being no, blessed. No, you can't take it. You can't take turkey. I think I'm allowed to pick up my every meal I eat. You can't take turkey or you take chicken. You can't take cow. You can't take cow, bull, you can't you take Okay, cow, then you can't take platinum or yam. Just pick platinum or yam. <laughs> no, 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 that's not true. Why? That's not true because... Just yesterday or two days ago, you ate chicken and meat together. Who, me? Yes, beef and No, that was where they cooked it. It was wrong. Doesn't mean it's right. But you ate you it. Eat and... <laughs> no, no, but I, when I look at it, when I see that kind of cooking, I'm just like, what? What is this? Why did they do this? You know, okay. it's like hearing... Um, it's like um, mixing bad a bad song together. Okay. <laughs> uh, I love how uh, ten minutes ago we were talking about father and son love, and here we are. <laughs> he wants to take, what did you say? Powdered yam, powdered yam, egusi, turkey, and plantain. How does plantain fit into that combination? It doesn't matter about fitting. Am I allowed? <laughs> Okay, because I am a fanatic of plantain, and um, I can understand your... No, I can allow you. Okay, I can let you take plantain. Okay, I accept that combination. Thank but you. really, Thank it's, you. it's Thank not... You. It's because I I will have done the same thing. Can, wait, wait can I take bolly instead of just plantain? Can I take bolly? No, if you take bolly, you have to take groundnut. If you take bolly, you have to take... Bolly and groundnut. Okay, my dish is complicated. I go see turkey, bolly and groundnut. Okay. Do you know Bolly? Can I make clear that you two are on separate islands? So it'll be they're, they're yes. not on the same <laughs> yes. island. So that's why I can have Bolly and Groundnut. So and we can't go to meet each other and share the food. No, we can't. <laughs> His combination is very good because have you ever tasted of you have never tasted Bolly with Groundnut? Of course. This is like a very important delicacy in the afternoon. Just dip ah, in the you just you open the plantain and put the groundnuts in the middle. It's like a sandwich. Ah yes. There you have it. The humble plantain came in to save the day. To close out this episode, we're going to listen to a song from Femi's side of the album. It has an epic horn hook and a driving groove that makes me want to get on my feet. Here's As We Struggle Every Day by Femi Kuti. That's a wrap for season one of Counter Jam. 
Thank you all for tuning in. We'll be back in a few weeks with season two, so be sure to subscribe to get the update. And if you have a moment, please do leave a friendly review in Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our guests, Ego Wodem and Femi Kuti and Mari Kuti, and I want to assure you all that no familial relationships were harmed during the taping of this episode. Shout out to Femi and Mari for providing the music. Please check out and purchase the double album Legacy Plus. And shout out to Ego's mom. You can invite me over anytime for farina and fish stew. Shout out to the Food 52 team and above all, Coral Lee, the brilliant master puppeteer who runs the show. I'm Peter J. Kim, and I'll catch you on the next season of Counter Jam. <laughs>